going to let our kids get on out of here this morning. Kids, we love you. Have fun over at Kids Life. Hopefully you have your Bible with you this morning. If you do, would you join me in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. We're going to start there, and then we're going to jump to James. I'll give you a head start if you need to flip through those pages. For those of you who use a phone, you're thankful you don't have to do that anymore. Just you're right there. You can dial it up. We've been talking about uh, vision, and specifically that 2020 vision, which talks about uh, our normal visual acuity, that what you see at 20 feet is what other people see at 20 feet, and it can, you could have 2010, you could have 2050, you could have 2000, you could have 2200, um, and it's just how you see, and we, we used the premise last week that our vision, if we're going to be Jesus followers, should line up with the same vision that God has. Makes sense, right? Uh, because our culture around us, they have a different vision. The people where we work and play and go to school and all those things, they, they've got a vision maybe for their life and how they want it to go. But did you know that God has a vision for how he wants your life to go as well? And it's a great vision. It's to bring abundance and increase and to, to have you live the best life you've ever lived. It's not always comfortable, but it is the life he's planned for you to live. And um, uh, if I get a little uh, sidetracked this morning, just uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm it's weird being up here and looking down on, feels like I'm like somebody important or something, and it's weird. Um, but Proverbs 29 uh, gives us this idea of that when we won't receive divine guidance, or some versions say vision, where there's no vision, where there's no revelation, but where there's no divine guidance. So think of... Uh, if you've had kids or you've ever taken care of kids, is that kids don't tend to watch where they're going and they need somebody that's up above to help guide them and say, watch out for this. And they guide them where they need to go. See, this is our Heavenly Father that says, I already see where I want you to go and I'm trying to get you there. But if you don't accept divine guidance, they run wild, right? Have you ever gone to somebody's house where the kids are running wild? Oh, maybe that's your house, I don't know, but. And the word usage there for perish, in the original language it says those people perish, was actually this, this word picture in Hebrew of a woman taking the covering off of her hair and the wind blowing it back and forth unrestrained that she can't control where it goes. See, this is the life of somebody that doesn't allow God to speak a vision into their life. They're back and forth and up and down and in and out, and, and it's all over the place. And, and you say, well, that sounds kind of exciting. Have you ever followed somebody on the, as you're driving and you thought maybe they were drunk? Or, or on their phone? And we use a word for that. It's called erratic, right? You see them kind of driving by Braille, I call it. They hit the bumps, and they come back over, and then and they're all over the place. Do you tend to get closer? Do you tend to tailgate those people? See, I tend not to. I tend to back away. Now, what do you think the world sees when we live erratic lives, the wind-blown hair lives where we're up and down and back and forth? Do you think they want to draw closer to us and our God, or do you think they want to... I need some space because that 
is a hot mess just waiting to happen. And I don't want to get caught up in that. Right? Because it doesn't look like anybody's really driving. And I'm here to tell you, there is a God, and He wants to drive your life, and He wants to drive you someplace good. He wants to get you to the destination you're supposed to be, not just heaven. So please, back away just from the big overview picture. Yes, He's going to take care of heaven. He's already won that for us. But guess what? What about tomorrow? He's saving us and guiding us into the best thing for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that means that there's always little course corrections along the way if we'll learn to listen and allow him to nudge us that all of a sudden he's like, you don't want to be involved in that. Maybe you need to back away a little bit from that type of stuff and from those type of people and from that erratic living and, and that type of behavior. And, and I want to get you just like with a horse, right? They start moving the way you don't. You give them a little nudge, Right? Same with your kids. You, you pull them in. You kind of guide them. At the church where we started doing ministry, it was funny. We had a lady there. She is so beloved by, uh, by us and by our kids. And her name, everybody called her Sister June uh, back in the days when everybody was called sister and brother. And Sister June had a unique way of guiding the children because she was old school. And she's, I mean, she's so old, old, old school, Right? She loved the kids so much, but whenever they would begin to, maybe they were doing a performance and they'd begin to kind of, like kids do, she would go and she would use this little bird vice grip and she would grab them right below, above the elbow, Quink! and redirect them. And you can always tell the kids that have been at that church for a long time because they've got a circle band around, like a tree that's been clamped. <laughs> Not out of discipline, but she loved them so much, she wanted them to be a part, she wanted to be on point, and that's what God's trying to do for us, is that he uses his word as boundaries for us, right? And so he says, you've got to accept some divine guidance. Your guidance sucks. Your guidance got you where you're at. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we've got a new guidance and we've got a new sense and we've got some new values and we've got new decisions and we get a new lifestyle, but it happens over time. It doesn't happen immediately. And then we talked about Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 2, where he says that when I give you this vision, I want you to write it plainly. Write it on tablets so that whoever reads it may run with it. And that means it's not static. You've got to get going with that thing, right? See, that's the problem with a lot of the stuff, just like fasting and resolutions and all that stuff at the beginning of the year, is all the plans are great, but you don't have an action plan. You just hope. And I'm here to tell you, hope is not a strategy. Hope is what we have in Jesus Christ. He's coming back, right? But hope for your life has to be intentional. You have to decide, I'm going to pray. Because you can keep saying, I hope someday I'm going to pray. And three years later, you still haven't done it. I hope to lose some weight. Well, hope didn't get it done. you got to get out of bed and actually do something. I hope my marriage endures. Well, how about you take some steps to make sure that it happens, right? I hope I make it to heaven. How about you know, just like John tells us, you can know you are saved and going to heaven. But it means that you've got to become part of that action. You can't just sit back and be passive. 
I don't know if you've ever had this, but I'm a, uh, I'm a person that I like to eat, and, and there's a few things that are like really in my wheelhouse that, that uh, make me drool, I guess. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a rabid meat eater, but as I grew up, my grandmother was uh, an incredible cook, I guess, uh, at least for me, and when I could come in and smell fresh bread, it's like, I'm ready to go, man, that I start drooling. <laughs> I, I'll get my knife and ready to go, and she would always have uh, uh, honey butter. Oh, man. Fresh-made honey butter. But the second thing that and it probably stimulates you as well is you walk in the house and you smell hot chocolate chip cookies just coming out of the oven, right? Now, if you've ever made chocolate chip cookies, you know that there's a certain form, there's a certain shape that they're supposed to take. And if you've ever gone to get your, your cookies out of the oven and they're about paper tall, you know they don't look right. Something has happened, right? And it probably wasn't that you didn't put sugar in, and it probably wasn't that you didn't put flour in, and it probably wasn't that you didn't put uh, butter in, and it probably wasn't that you didn't put the chocolate chips in. It was probably what? Baking soup. You know, you guys are all smart, Right? You guys figured it out. But isn't it funny that that one little ingredient changes the way that they look, right? Just one simple ingredient will change the way that they look and the way that they perform. And that's the same thing that the Scripture is going to show us this morning as we talk about this. So if you'll join me over in James, we're going to take a look at this. James chapter 2, James is a, a brother of Jesus Christ. And yet another great example of, of why the Bible is true, because anybody that would actually uh, admit and profess that their brother was God is, is pretty amazing. But from verses 14 through 22, he helps us with that ingredient. And so it's not going to be lengthy this morning, but I just hope that you know that it's going to kind of bring that closeness, that that point down into our lives that some of you, you're going to see what the missing ingredient of your faith is. You're going to see that it's not yet complete, and there's a way that we can fix it this morning. So here we go. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what he's saying. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Okay, what good is it to say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? So here's Pastor Tony's version of that. What good is it to say you're saved and live like everybody else? We can tell no difference between you and somebody that doesn't follow Jesus Christ. What good is it? That's a great question. And he asks a lot of questions, and what's funny is, he finally gets to the answer, but what he's really trying to do is stimulate our thinking. He's like, oh, that's a really great question. That's a really great question. Can that kind of faith save anyone? That's a great question. Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you realize this, right? And he says, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well but you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? 
See, to me, if I present a need like that, I'm hungry and I don't have any clothes, and you say, I'll pray for you. You know what you've done for me? Nothing. Because faith has to be mixed with action. And that's the missing baking soda in some of your faith is that all you have is verbal faith. I got saved once. And do we have any proof of it from looking at your life, the way that you live, the way you handle money, the way that you do your marriage, the way that you work, the way that you act as a, as a student, the way that you treat other people, the way that you serve others? Some of you, that's the big thing right there, those next steps. And, and here's what's sad, and I'm just going to say it to get over this big bump right here. Some of you, and it doesn't matter what I would say, you're not going to change. You just feel like, I'm saved, I said that thing that one time, and I'm good to go. And I'm telling you, you should be worried. Because if you read what I'm reading today, you're going to come to a point in the scripture, you're going to say, uh-oh. And I don't want you to come to the end of your life and say, uh-oh. I want you to have a life that you look back on and say, it was well lived. I may have some bumps and bruises. <laughs> there may be some of the varnish off of my life, but you know what? I lived full on for God. And I want to be that type of person that loves Him and I display it to people. I'm not the weird, over the top, ugly sweater, Chris, Christmas sweater uh, Christian, but I'm a person that I'm going to follow what Jesus tells me to do, and I'm going to live that life, and I'm going to love those people, and I'm going to do those things because he says it, not because I have to, but because I want to. And that's the hard part is, is just being obedient until you want what he wants, right? Just like with raising kids, they don't want to do what you want to do. They want to do what they want to do until you intervene and you say something like this, you need to be nice to your brother, and then they, as a kid does, ask those great questions. Why? And you've got a couple of choices. Because I said so. Right? And see, if we're not careful, and if you've been raised or been around those type of churches, it's always because I said so. I'm not here to say because I said so because I'm not the authority. There's a better reason than because it says so. It's because when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to be judged but for our lives. Our actions and our lack of actions, how we treated other people is important to God. Not just that we said some prayer sometime and, and then went to church. How we treat other people or don't treat other people is vitally important to our faith. And it's going to be something that God's going to bring up to us and say, you say you love me, but you didn't love anybody. You never served anybody. You never tithed. You never supported the church. You don't really pray. Are you sure about this faith that you say that you have? What did you have faith in? Because it doesn't seem like it followed my word. It doesn't seem like it followed the pattern of Jesus Christ. What were you placing your faith in? Well, Mama said, Mama's a person that is wrong. Your mama told you lots of stuff that wasn't true. Let's be honest, right? Trying to do their best, but they're just people. Don't you 
see that what kind of good does that do to somebody that has a need and you refuse to meet that need? Verse 17 through 19. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now this is God's word, and you can read from a different translation. I just like this one because it it rolls better as we read it. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So who today wants to have dead, useless faith? Come on, don't be shamed. Because it's the easiest type of faith to have. All you have to do is say, I believe. Now here's what it's not saying. It's not saying you have to work your way to heaven because you can't. It's not saying you have to do stuff to earn God's love because you can't. It's not saying that you have to do everything every day for everybody and just forget about yourself. It's not saying that at all. But what it is saying is that if you truly do love God and other people, there will be some side effects of that. There will be some action that's put to that instead of just a lot of lip service. And that's one of the issues that we've had for way too long with our modern churches. We tell everybody, oh, love, 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 but we never show it. We tell everybody, oh, we serve, 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 but we never do it. We tell everybody, oh, we want to support, but we don't do it. We have to be people that decide, if I'm actually going to live this life, then I'm actually going to be obedient and do what it says. That's the change. That's the action. And believe me, it doesn't have to happen all at once. It can't happen all at once. But if nothing is happening, then you look like those cookies that just got pulled out of the oven. And guess what? Anybody that sees those cookies that's seen a regular cookie says, uh, something went wrong. And even if you try to fake it, you scrape them off the pan and you put them on a little baking sheet ready to cool. That will be a hard, dry, crisp, that will definitely be a cookie you got to dunk. It's not, it, I didn't say that they weren't cookies. But it's definitely not the cookie you were hoping for. And I don't want that for your life. That you get to the end of your life and you realize, I wasted so much time just because I was stubborn, just because I was prideful, just because my ego, just because I thought, well, I'm here to tell you that you can think new thoughts and you can change today beginning with something small. Here's what he says. If you don't have some works or some deeds together, your faith is dead and useless. Verse 18. Now, some may argue, and and those are the people we're talking to this morning. It's you, and it's me. I've been there. Well, you know, some people have faith. I like that. I think that's a funny argument. You know, some people, they just have faith. Great. And others have good deeds. See, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world, Pastor. There's those that have faith, and there's those that have faith that actually mean something. You know, there's those that have faith, and then there's those that have faith and really prove it. James says, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? If I tell you I have faith and you say, let me see it, there it is. And if you're really spiritual, you'll be able to see it. You know how people see our faith? How we live, how we love, 
how we navigate this world because they can't see what's happening in our hearts and they don't know what we're praying. They see our faith as we walk through this world loving, forgiving, carrying our burdens, serving each other, and living like Jesus Christ. Nobody ever accused Jesus of not loving. Isn't that amazing? And it's amazing that our Lord Savior always did good deeds. He was always stopping to talk, to touch, to heal, to pray, to do something for somebody. And yet here we sit or here we live doing nothing for nobody. Just, I got my private faith. Those two things shouldn't mix. We just keep it in church. And it's just like church and politics. They don't go together. It does go together. It must go together or it's dead. It's dead. How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? He says, I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You don't know what I believe, but guess what? You'll care about how I treat you. And you won't care about my faith, but you'll know I believe something. (laughs) Because when I treat people good, they see something different. When I love well, they see something different. When I serve other people instead of myself, it looks different than how other people live. How I spend my money, how I treat my people, how I raise my kids and my grandkids, how I interact with others, how I handle God's Word, how I pray, what I pray for. All of those things are how our good deeds are played out. And if you just stop short at words, oh, I have faith, then the Bible itself, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, tells you your faith is dead and useless. The best example I know is this. Uh, Have you ever, we don't see it that much in circulation anymore, but if, if you're maybe a little bit older, a year ago, to another country. Anybody ever go to another country and you get some extra, some extra coins, pesos or something like that, right? And it goes in your pocket. And, and when I was a kid, it was Canadian coins, right? So you pull out a Canadian coin, and it looks like a nickel, and you go to pay with it, and what does the person at the till say? Now, are you telling me that's not a real nickel? I've had one. I felt it. It's real. You know what the value is? Nothing here. You know what the value of a couple pesos is from Mexico? (laughs) You pull those out, zero. Now listen, what will you do with your life when you get to the end of it and you go to give it to God and he says, "Uh, I don't accept that kind And you say, wait a minute. And he says, yeah, that doesn't have much value here. Then what argument will you have? What logic will you use? How reasonable will your argument be of why you're so selfish that you refuse to serve anybody? Why you refuse to forgive? Why you refuse to get baptized? Why you refuse to actually say the words, Lord, I need to be saved? it's just pride it's those simple things that could easily be overcome easily be changed but you're overthinking it and you're letting your heart do its business and your heart is deceptful look what he says I'm going to show you my faith by my good deeds 
You say I have faith, for you believe that there's a God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble. Do you tremble at God? If you did, you'd obey His word. If you did, you'd do what He says. If you actually believed, you'd put faith to your words. You would actually have deeds, not works. It's not a works-based faith. But because of what he's done, I would gladly do what he asks. We run the rest of our lives like this, and then when it comes to God, we back out of it, right? When somebody does something nice to you, don't you usually feel like reciprocating? I mean, how would you feel if somebody bought you a brand new car? Yeah, thanks. Have a good day. Great, now I've got to put insurance on it. And the city's going to want tabs and thank you, just create another bill in my life. Thank you very much. See, that's what it sounds like at times when I hear people talk about their faith. That it's just a big burden that, oh, God wants me to do this or this. If you really realize that he has saved you from hell and washed away your sin, your heart would be so full of admiration and praise that you'd be like, I can't wait to do the next good thing. What do I need to do? Instead, when we're thinking it's about us and it's only about us, we've got a problem. That is dead, useless faith. In fact, it's worse in my book, and don't hold us to the scripture, this is me, this is the type of faith that repels people that really want faith. It's what I would call Pharisee faith. They had faith too, but it was just in keeping it to themselves and not dealing with all those messy, dirty people. Private faith. I pray in my private room, I do my private things, and If people would just stay out of my life, I'd have a better life. But God has placed us among people on purpose to make a difference in people's lives and to show them the love of Jesus Christ without having to preach, just living it. That's the faith that we're supposed to have. Even the demons know who God is, and they tremble about it. They have a higher respect sometimes than we do as modern Americans, especially on the West Coast. Last two verses. Look what he says. Now remember, he's talking to people that knew God's word, and they were were people that had been following God in a certain way, and he's trying to tell them, hey, That was a way that it was supposed to be. And then Jesus Christ came and he changed everything. He came to fulfill the law. He came to forgive. He came to show that it's not just about going to temple. And it's not about some sacrifice. And it's about how we live and how we love and how we navigate our lives and who we're around and how we treat them and having great relationship with God and with other people. James says this, how foolish, how foolish that you would say, I have faith and you have deeds. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions 
when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And if you've never read that story, you should go back and read that part in Genesis. He's been following God. God's been telling him what to do. God gives him the promise of a new son. And all of a sudden, God does something that maybe would take you by surprise. He begins to test Abraham's faith. You've been asking for a son. Good, I gave you a son. Now I want you to give your son back to me. What? Yeah, I want you to sacrifice him to me. He had a choice. You see, God wasn't going to make him do it. He just asked him to do it. And here's what's cool if you read that section. It says that he traveled three days and God said, I'll, I'll tell you when to stop to make the sacrifice. And he made him walk for three days. Think about that. Three days to think about, I'm going to lose the only son I've ever had. Three days of walking. God better come through on this. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work out. He's only given me this son of blessing. And here's what he tells his servants. When it, finally God says, stop, I want you to go up on top of the hill. I want you to build an altar, and you're going to sacrifice your son Isaac on it. Here's what he tells his, his servants. My son and I are going to go worship. And then we're going to come back to you. Do you see that? He's got faith, but I'm going to climb the mountain. (laughs) I'm going to walk the three days. I'm going to trust that God's going to do what God said he would do, and if he doesn't, he's God. You see, he put feet to his faith. Today, we would have said, you want him, come and get him. Just like coming to an altar, just like standing during worship, just like lifting our hands. You're not required to do those things, but we should do it out of the abundance of our heart that God says to do it this way, so why not do it that way? Because we're stubborn, and we're proud, and we're full of ourselves, and we never want to admit that. He offered his son Isaac on the altar You see, his faith and his actions work together, just like the baking soda, right? You put the baking soda in, and all of a sudden, his actions made his faith complete. He had faith to believe in God, but did he have faith to follow through on what God said? That's the question for you today. Do you have faith to follow through on what God said? Just like with fasting and praying, there's a lot of people say, ah, you know, But you should talk to some people that have actually done it and seen the change in their lives to see what's happening in their hearts and their spirit and how their their prayers change. Because you just see the sacrifice. You don't see the abundance that comes out of it. We're tithing and giving. Ah! You don't understand the blessing that comes with it. You don't understand that he's changing us because he doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And if he doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. And if you don't have any actions to put with your faith, you really don't have faith. Sure, you can say it, but you have no proof about it. It's like a Canadian nickel. His faith and his actions worked together 
and his actions made his faith complete. Don't you want complete faith this morning? The complete recipe so that when you go through some heat and some trouble and you come out as this faith cookie that somebody says, oh, look at that. I mean, it's desirable, right? You ever notice that? Did your mom do that? Did your mom torment you? Like she'd make those great cookies and put them out on a platter on the, on the counter and then when you come in and your hand just automatically goes to reach for one? Right? She didn't, she didn't say, you get in here right now and you eat those cookies. Anybody have a mom like that? If so, I, I want to be adopted. I want... It's amazing that there, you don't have to put a sign on it at all. It's so attractive that what happens? And the good part is God gave you two hands. One to go. Right? Now you're thinking, what's that got to do with the thing? Did you watch your mom put all the ingredients in? You have no idea how they're going to taste, but you have faith in how they tasted last time. Right? This time, she might have used fertilizer. Because the, just because they look that way. And I'm going to pick on my, my poor wife today, and hopefully she doesn't throw up. But we went through a phase when we were changing some of our diet plan, and she decided she was going to try low-carb pancakes. And when you make them, they look like regular pancakes until you try to eat them. And then it tastes like somebody ground up a cardboard box and added a little bit of sawdust and patted it into a pancake shape (laughs) and that's a low-carb pancake. The reason they're low-carb is that nobody wants to eat them. Would anybody want your faith from the way you're presenting it? Would anybody look at the way that you're living and say, look at how they live. Look at their marriage. Look at their friendships. Look at their joy in the midst of times. Look at how they're not caught up in all the money stuff. Look at how they're not caught up in all the negativity online. Look at how they're not worried about what's going on here or there. And yet they're still engaged. They're not so heavenly minded that they don't care. They're very engaged, but they don't seem to get troubled by all of that. That's what's attractive. Because nobody knows what you're doing in here today. Your neighbors aren't here watching you. But they're going to see how you live the rest of the week. They're going to see how you treat your other neighbors. They're going to see if when you're mowing your yard, you actually take time to talk to them, whether you'll help them with their stuff, whether you just think that they're a human being. What type of actions need to go with your faith? That that next step. What's that next step? Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's serving here in the church. Maybe it's finding a place in the community. Maybe it's finally forgiving that person that you've been holding something against and you write a letter and you say, that debt is canceled. You owe me nothing. I love you. We need to look for opportunities. To do for one person this week what we wish we could do for everybody. You can't do it for everybody. 
you don't have the resources, but what could you do for one person this week that would show your faith in action? And I'm not talking about being weird and walking up to somebody in Safeway and saying, you want to receive Jesus Christ? That's just weird. What could you do, just one person this week, that you wish you could do for a bunch of people? Maybe you see a need, but maybe you just find one person that you can fulfill that need. What could you do this week? Who could you forgive? Who could you love? Who could you serve? Somebody that you would think, oh, man, I don't want to serve them. It is exactly the person that you need to serve. (laughs)